0: Father, we uh, come before you and we desire to be like you, quote, Christians, ones who follow Christ. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior, and the example that he set, how he was loving towards all who were around him except for those who were being used by Satan to pervert the gospel, to pervert your word. We ask that you would give us this same grace to those who we don't even know that we're going to be coming in contact with. It is, we understand, Father, going to change our culture. But may this event, these events that are coming, may they never change us in a way that is negative, that leads us away from your grace, that turns us towards vengeance and hatred and discord and jealousy. Father, we pray for this, and as we go through your word, I pray that we could also just accumulate to us the knowledge of your word, just as Paul was delivering it to Timothy, that we might be able to acclimate ourselves to the trials that are forthcoming. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you have heard me say a million times, And you have probably said it yourself. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And justice is getting exactly what you do deserve. And so this grace that he's telling Timothy to be strong in is give to others favor, the same favor that God gives to us. We are not deserving of the favor, but we are supposed to extend it to others. We are supposed to be selfless in this. We're not supposed to keep everything to ourselves and want everybody else to just leave you alone. That's why we separate ourselves and we want our single family homes and we want our lives and we don't want to have to interact too much with other people, especially if they come from different cultures or other countries. We may be nice to one person, but when there becomes a group of them, then we point at them and we say, you're messing with my country, you're messing with my life. We are citizens of this country, yes, but we are also first citizens of heaven. And so we need to be able to be strong, just like Timothy was supposed to be strong in the grace. Apparently, he wasn't so strong in the grace of God. Now, remember, he was weak and he was timid and sickly. He was probably gangly. He could have been a little taller, a little shorter, but he wasn't the epitome of health. He wasn't an Arnold Schwarzenegger of the New Testament. You wouldn't think of Timothy like that. And he's telling them, also, be strong in the grace of God. And so he probably had a little bit of a streak in him saying, I'm not going to be nice to somebody just to be nice to them. And when was the last time you just did an act of kindness to someone. Maybe you had an impromptu opportunity or maybe you planned it. You said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shed on somebody grace. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had a, a youth come through and we wanted to talk to him more. And we told him, look, we'll take you to lunch. We'll feed you. We'll make sure that uh, you have a nice meal and we can answer all your questions. He goes, no, I can't do that. I said, well, why? Why can't you do that? He said, well, because I can't accept something like that, some type of gift like that. And sometimes we have a hard time accepting something freely from someone else. I explained to him, well, that's what the grace of God is all about, doing kind things for people who probably don't deserve it. We just do it anyhow. And Timothy was probably a little reluctant. Now, if Timothy is being told this, and he was weak probably in several different ways and gangly and not very strong. He could have received some ridicule from those outside the church and probably did not have a lot of grace for them. But that's what he was encouraged to do. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, who are reliable men? If you're on a work site, the reliable men are the ones who show up. They're on time. They take a 10-minute break, not a 12-minute break, not a 30-minute break. They take a 30-minute lunch or an hour lunch, whichever is designated for them, and they keep it exactly to that. And when it comes to 31 minutes or 61 minutes, they are there ready to work and they work right up to the end. They don't start putting things up a half hour ahead of time and just kind of go slow pokey around the rest of the job site, or maybe it's in the office. Maybe um, you're playing solitaire on the computer while you're just waiting for something to happen or checking your phone, and you're just spending a lot of time not thinking that you're working for actually Christ Jesus when it comes to your job. So who are these reliable men that would be entrusted with the gospel would be men who would stay the course men who would be faithful men who would support what's going on in the ministry excuse me men who will endure men who can teach and that has been proven by experience and knowledge and basically you can just count on them to be there they don't quickly abandon their post But just because some trial comes along, they just don't throw up their hands and say, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of here. We've had several occasions like that here at church. Somebody gets offended by somebody else in the church, and they say, I'm done, I'm out of here. And they turn in whatever they have, and they just take off. Not so reliable. This is something that has to be proven over a course of time. And this individual or individuals who were reliable, they had to be able to teach others doctrines that Paul had handed handed down. Now, what's the purpose of doctrines? <clears throat> there are several kinds of churches: churches that they just stick to the Bible, churches that are all about litur- uh, liturgy, churches that are all about stories, uh, churches that make it an event, and they have video and they have smoke and they have lasers and light shows and it's the latest and greatest in the innovation of the church there's all kinds of churches like that but Paul was concerned with getting out the simple doctrine that had been passed on to him now there is a purpose in doctrine doctrine tells us what God's will is for instance there are are examples of where there is God's perfect will. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So if you know the word, and it cleanses your mind from the things of the world, and the influences of Satan, then you can test what God's will is. And not only his will, but his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if you had God's will in the Scriptures, you know exactly what to do. So that is God's perfect will, so to speak. First Thessalonians four three also says, it is good, or excuse me, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. In First Thessalonians five sixteen, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. First Peter two fifteen, for it is God's will. For it it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. All of these things are God's will. And you would know this if you were in the word and you had proper doctrine. 1 Peter chapter 3 deals with suffering. In verse 17 it says it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You might think, well, that's so unrighteous. But God says, no, that's actually a good thing if it is god's will rather than suffering for doing what is evil so god tells us his will all the time and that's one of the reasons why we want to know doctrine then there's god's prescribed will you get a prescription when you go to the doctor for whatever it might be arthritis or a statin drug or cough syrup or whatever it might be you have a prescription well god has a prescribed will we have the ten commandments Ten Commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we know love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things sum up the Ten Commandments that are given to us in Deuteronomy and Exodus chapter 20. And so God gives us a specific prescription. Do these ten things, sum them up in these two things, and you will do God's will. This is the course God has set each one of us on. Then there is God's predetermined will that is not going to change or be modified whatsoever for instance he tells us <clears throat> excuse me he tells us about creation it's god's will that he created thing everything in 6 days 7th day he rested that was god's will it was god's will that he chose abraham that was not going to change or going through isaac jacob joseph and through the line of judah you would have jesus that was god's predetermined will that jesus would go to the cross it's also god's predetermined will that all things come to an end the earth is going to come to an end and we know before that happens there's a thousand year reign of christ And right after the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's the great white throne judgment. Before the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's going to be the seven years of tribulation. And that's where all hell is going to be released upon the earth. And you're going to have the Antichrist during that time. And you're going to have the one world system which is there. And you're going to have wars and rumors of wars that precede all of that. And it's going to be a difficult time, but you can see everything lining up in that direction especially with the vaccine passports and everything that they want to install, quote, unquote, the deep state or the elites. They want to herd everybody into a particular behavior and penalize those who don't follow suit. And we know that that is God's predetermined will. If we are still around when all this starts to come to fruition before the Antichrist comes here, we're going to be standing back and going, wow, God told us this is going to happen. He wanted us to know that this is going to take place. So if we have proper doctrine, like in eschatology, we will not be taken off guard. If you've ever, I, I saw this little video of this girl with her father on a roller coaster and she was excited She could barely put her arms up like this. And the roller coaster started moving. She was all smiles. It was all great. And you can tell probably that the father didn't tell her what to expect. Because as soon as it you know, went to the top, she's going, oh, okay, this is fun. And then it started diving and moving and twisting. And she, you could tell she was frightened for her life. She had no idea what was going on. She wasn't prepared for it in the least. And when she got it, it didn't go to the end when she got all done. But she was just scared to death about being on that roller coaster. Well, God doesn't want us scared to death. He doesn't want us in confusion. That's why we have the doctrines, the doctrines associated with eschatology. That's why we can be prepared. We can just simply say, yeah, we know that this is going to take place. God told us about this. Well, what did he tell you? Thousands of years ago, beginning 6,000 years ago, at least with Adam and Eve, talking about the arrival of the Savior, the Messiah, after they had eaten of the forbidden fruit. And so that's why you have to take these doctrines, give them to reliable men, tell these reliable men, go tell others. We always want to instruct others. We never want to be silent about this. And so this is also an ad for those who would step forward and say, well, send me. That's all I ever did when I became a Christian. I said, God, use me. Just whatever it is you want, send me. I'll go. Read Isaiah, send me. I'll, I'll go and that's what he decided to do and that's all you have to do as well i talked i think last week about a serendipitous meeting where you you come into contact with somebody who needs the gospel and you are able to communicate that to them you need to pray for those isaiah 6 8 this is isaiah what he thought about <clears throat> being one who would be sent because then i heard a voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us and i said here i am send me So that needs to be our attitude as well while maintaining and living in the grace of God. Send me, I want to have grace upon the people, I want to give them the information of the gospel, I want to enable them to obtain eternal life. So a worker in ministry is to pour out their knowledge and time to others. Someone who knows the truth is never supposed to keep it to themselves, we are to pass it on. Then Paul begins to use some metaphors. He uses a metaphor of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Now, they would have been familiar with all three because, remember, we had the Olympics. We have the Roman army, which is there, and it was an agrarian society. So something very familiar (coughs) to the people at the time. And so in verse 3, he says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, I was never in the military. I started to sign up to go into the military, but I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Uh, I I wanted to go either in the Navy, the Air Force, and fly jets really fast. And I had a hearing problem in my left ear, and they said, Nope, can't do that. You can be a flight engineer, uh, or you can uh, fly U-2 missions over Russia. And I said, no, well, I, nah, nah, I, I want to have something to shoot with, you know, and, and be in the plane. And so <clears throat> as I was doing that, I can't even remember his name, Sergeant Gustafson. He was in the recruiting office, and he comes over. He goes, you want to fly? We'll get you some pilot's license. That'll be just fine. He was from the South. You know, that's kind of how he talked. We'll get you a pilot's license. You just sign up with us. You can become a Marine, and we'll get you into flight school. Go, and I said, well... I need to go finish a degree first. Oh, don't worry about that. We'll just enlist you. <laughs> I'm going, no. you know. So I, I, I took off. I, I didn't go into the military, but my dad was in the military, and you know he's kind of rough and gruff. And and some guys in the military they get like that. And you see some of the warriors come back, and they have a hard time making the transition. So it, it's tough being a soldier. And a Roman soldier was to be single-minded in purpose, rigorous discipline, and unquestioning unquestioning obedience, unlike Millie, if you have been following that. Unquestioned obedience is what a Roman soldier had to have. And Barnes, in his commentary, he had a few things to say. He quoted, uh, Rules of War Among Romans... And he got this from a guy by the name of Grotius. It says, Roman soldiers were not allowed to marry or to engage in any husbandry or trade. And they were forbidden to act as teachers to any person or custodians to any man's estate or representative representatives or agents in the cause of other men. So the soldiers had to be focused. They had to be stationed somewhere. They had to constantly work out and train and they had to be solely devoted to please their commanding officer that was it you followed orders and you did it unquestionably and then there was a general principle that also they were excluded from relationships agencies engagements and which it was thought would divert their minds from that which was their sole object and pursuit. So they they were laser-focused on what they were supposed to accomplish as a soldier. And Paul is saying, like a soldier, endure hardship with us, like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. So we are, quote-unquote, in the Lord's army, and we don't get involved in civilian affairs. So he's telling Timothy, in this particular illustration if you are going to minister in your particular position, you need to focus on that ministry. Don't go and start farming. Don't go and open a shop. Don't go and open a restaurant. Don't start plying yourself to a trade. He said simply focus on this. Now this is for Timothy, who is a pastor in, the, in this particular situation. Now there was also with um, ministers of the gospel I told you that he wasn't to be a farmer he wasn't to pursue another occupation and in Barnes commentary on this he goes on to say the grand purpose of the minister of the gospel is to please Christ he is to pursue no separate plans and to have no separate will of his own and it is contemplated that the whole core of Christian ministers and members of the church shall be entirely subordinate to the will of Christ as an army is to the orders of its commanding chief. Now that is the blanket statement that ministers are supposed to be focused on. They're supposed to be focused on Christ and pleasing him. Now is this a universal commandment that all ministers should stop any other occupation and they should simply focus on ministry? Well, some would say, according to this particular section, yes, that would be true. That would mean I would quit my secular job and starve. No, the Lord wouldn't let me starve. But he'd quit my secular job and just strictly do ministry. Now, if you wanted to go down that track, there's a problem. Because the Apostle Paul, do you guys remember what the Apostle Paul was employed doing? He was a tent maker. Do you remember who he was employed doing it with? aquila and priscilla and they got a hold of apollos remember they showed him a more excellent way and so he joined with them in tent making in the city of corinth now if he's doing that and he says timothy don't do tent making you would say what's going on with this it's like ecclesiastes chapter three there's a time for everything under heaven a purpose, a will that we're supposed to follow, and God determines what those things are. And so, Paul, he took up the tent making, and it's explained to us in Acts chapter 18, verse 3. He did that. And there have been ministers throughout all of history that have had side occupations. They have been called bivocational. They, they do a couple of different things, maybe even besides giving the gospel. And so it, it just depends on how God directs and how he leads, but it is not a prohibition for a minister to seek some other kind of income. I know when Pastor Chuck Smith, when he was uh, starting out in ministry, <clears throat> he, didn't make enough in the ministry to support himself and so he would pick up dead bodies and he would move them uh, from the house to the mortuary that type of thing and, and so most every pastor in some point in time i think it's good uh, to have that kind of experience but if you can be full-time well that's what the lord has called the ministers to if they were able to in their specific cases then Back in verse 4, it says, he wants to please his commanding officer. So when Paul is talking to Timothy about being a good soldier, there is a commanding officer. Now, it kind of goes without saying our commanding officer is Jesus Christ. He is the one. In Joshua chapter 5, in verses 13 through it's 15, I believe, Joshua was around the area of Jericho. You remember the story of Jericho? Six days you march around it, and on the seventh day you blow the trumpets, and the walls come tumbling down. I think they've even written children's songs about that. It does say in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now back then... That would be the equivalent of today, somebody standing in front of you with a pistol, and they're holding the gun. That means, okay, who is this guy, and what's he going to do with that gun? Now, if it's a police officer and he has a gun, okay, that's a different story than somebody who has a hoodie on and has a gun. Maybe you've seen those videos of the guys who ride around in Cambodia and some of the Asian countries, and there are two of them on a little moto, and one hops off and he has a gun, and they rob somebody and they take off. That, that's a common occurrence over there. You have to be careful about being alone or being on a deserted street, and that will happen. So Joshua sees this guy. He has his sword drawn. He's standing there. I don't know if he has two hands on the sword, I don't know if it's just standing at his side, but he's holding the sword. And so Joshua asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? Because Joshua is probably putting his hand on the sword, getting ready. Okay, what's this guy going to do? Goes on, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, there is a debate. Is this a messenger or is this Jesus Christ? I think we have some clues in Scripture as to who this is. goes on to say in verse 15, The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, where else do you know? But someone said, Take off your sandals, because the place you are standing is holy. There's only one other place that I know. It's Moses, the burning bush. He shows up there, he goes, Take off your sandals, the place I'm standing is holy. That's recorded in Exodus chapter three, verse five. And also uh, that particular act is recorded in the book of Acts, chapter seven, verse thirty three. And they're referring to the taking off the sandals. So the commander of the Lord's army is Jesus Christ himself. Now, when he comes back after the tribulation, he's on a white horse. On his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I had somebody ask me about that once. They said, that means he has a tattoo? on his side king of kings and lord of lords is that what's going on i think it's more sweatpants you know like they have university sweatpants that say uh, san luis obispo or san diego state i don't know what it is but he has king of kings and lord and lords on his thighs as he's riding the white horse and who's behind him us the armies of the lord and the angels and i mean we're just coming back to earth it's going to be quite a ride coming back like that but It is Jesus Christ who is the commander of the Lord's army and we are in the Lord's army and we are the soldiers that are under his command. So that's how we are to look at this is we are to endure like a good soldier, the hardship which comes with giving the gospel. Now, specifically, that's for pastors, but it it blankets all of us. We are to endure hardships. You just go to first Peter chapter three and you can read more about that. Then he says, I'm going to talk about an athlete here. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, there are rules in sports. Paul, he talks about boxing, wrestling, running. We've covered that before. You know, wrestling. Now, I used to wrestle. And that is a sport that will just... Oh, it is so so difficult. It requires so much strength and endurance. And a, a match is only six minute long. Six minutes long, but by the time you're done, you are just spent. Gymnastics is similar to that. You, I think, you even have to have more endurance to do gymnastics properly. Just go home and try to do an iron cross. You know what that is, where you get the rings and you go out like this? Just get up in a tree and put yourself between two branches and just hold yourself there straight out and look like an iron cross is what they call it. And it's very difficult. Well, there are moves in wrestling which are illegal that you cannot do. If you do them, you are disqualified. And remember, Paul says, if anyone competes as an athlete, He does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. So in wrestling, some moves that are illegal is a full Nelson. You can actually break somebody's neck using a full Nelson. That's where you're standing or you're behind somebody and you slip your arm underneath their armpit here and under here, and you wrap it around the back of their head and you push forward. And you keep on pushing until that chin hits the chest. And it's very painful. Now, you can do a half Nelson, which is you stick one arm up underneath the armpit and you press down. But you cannot do two. I used to be an official as as well in wrestling matches. And you would immediately stop somebody from putting on a full Nelson. And some kids would try it. There are other moves like the guillotine. It's just like it sounds. It, it's very painful very uncomfortable it can cause somebody a great deal of pain and injury or a, what they would call a figure four now you know what a figure four is if you take like your right ankle and you put it behind your left knee like that and in between that space right there you have somebody's head and you tighten the figure four and the head starts to constrict up and you can also do that to the body just go home and try it with your husband or wife or kids put put a figure four around their torso and then just squeeze and see what happens Uh, these moves they're so bad and and then there's a couple other moves they they used to do this in greco-roman the style of wrestling it's where you are behind somebody and you grab them around the torso and you lift them off the ground and you fly all the way back with your head and you throw them, you slam them to the mat, which can cause tremendous injury. All of those things can disqualify somebody in a wrestling match. Depending on what their intent is and what they keep on doing, they get negative points or they're just completely disqualified. Then running. Running has rules. You have to follow the rules during running. Now, in soccer, uh, I don't know if you, how much soccer you guys watch, but I see them all the time where somebody will come up, like a women's soccer team. I saw this one girl... She goes up behind another one. They're just kind of punching and elbowing each other, and then she just grabs her ponytail and yanks it from behind, tears her to the ground, and you know she's just on the ground. She heart her neck got all creaked out, and it was just real bad. And not playing by the rules. And of course, in soccer they fake it a lot. I don't know, like I said, how much you watch, but in running. You have to, on a track, you have to stay in the lines, depending on what kind of race it is, but normally you stay in the lines, and you're not to touch your foot on a line. You're supposed to be in the center. <clears throat> and they train to do that, and then afterwards, if you leave the track, that's okay, but you cannot come back onto the track, and if you do, you'll become disqualified in the race. Well, what about boxing? Remember uh, Holyfield and that other guy who liked to eat ears? Remember that? And that took place Well, also in boxing. Illegal moves are head butting. You can't butt somebody in the head with your own head. <sighs> little graphic here. Eye gouging. You can't say, here's a finger in your eye. You know, you, you can't do that in boxing or pulling hair. Now, uh, there's a few boxers, they had no hair, so you didn't have to worry about it. And then there was fish hooking. Now, I don't know if you know what that is, but that's where you take a finger, and you stick it in a facial orifice, and you pull, and you yank. All those things are disqualifiers. Now, if you have boxing gloves on, that's not going to be an easy move to make, but there's the uh, the hand-to-hand combat that they have in the cages, you know, so we are supposed to make sure that we're running according to the rules of the race, or the rules of the sport we don't want to get out of that first corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 says do you not know that In a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And when Paul's talking about the games here, back then you had to testify that you were training for 10 months prior to competing in the games. Now, if you've ever gone to an athletic event and you haven't trained very well, it's not going to go well. And so Paul is telling Timothy, compete according to the rules of the game. And he told the church in Corinth the same thing. You have to run to get the prize. You want to make sure you're not just out there running aimlessly. So for us knowing and doing god's will knowing doctrine training so to speak like the athletes 10 months in advance we're supposed to do all that now for us what would be illegal moves if if that would disqualify us what would be those things that just like the athletes would be disqualified from competing in the games what would disqualify us even paul talks about being disqualified he didn't want to be disqualified Well, living a life that is contrary to God's will. That could be a disqualifier. That's something that should raise a red flag. It's not immediately apparent that in all cases this would be the rule. But certainly with sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Galatians chapter 5 talks about those who practice sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will be disqualified. Not that they were ever qualified, that's a, a... Another Bible study altogether. Also, drug use or alcoholism. Those things are disqualifiers. Uh, even being greedy. Uh, greed is one of the things that will disqualify somebody. Or hating others. First John talks about how can a person say he hates his brother but yet loves God. It, it cannot be so. <clears throat> and also, holding on to false doctrine. Uh, false doctrine would be there are many ways to God. That's a false doctrine. I think I mentioned to you in the past that in the movie Ben-Hur, uh, uh, Balthasar, I forget who he was, the white bearded, uh, white-haired, bearded man, he said, my son, there are many ways to God. No, that is not true. Cecil B. DeMille, if, if he's the one that did that movie. I know he did the Ten Commandments. He would be wrong in allowing that to go out. There are not many ways to God. Or the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine. You know, that you can get all you want in this life. No, we're supposed to sacrifice everything, even our lives if necessary, to do the will of God. So those are things that will either definitely or potentially disqualify us from running the race and getting into heaven. And God says, don't do that. Be like the athlete, be like the soldier. Then he goes on for a third illustration here of a farmer. Verse six, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. <clears throat> so what is it? Farmer? Farming is hard. It's difficult. Uh, having a trade that works with the soil, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with this. Maybe all of you have planted gardens in the past. I, I do some work for somebody who is, quote, a master gardener. There are raised beds, there are arches, there are marigolds to help keep out the pests that would go to other vegetables that are there in garlic and onions because they all produce odor and you can use pyrethrins to control uh, certain insects and those are in chrysanthemums and they have all that going on in the The produce that comes out of that place is just incredible. I I look at it and I just marvel. And they are doing it all the time. But to be a farmer, what do you have to do? Well, you see a plot of land. You have to clear the plot of land. Have you ever tried clearing a plot of land? I talked to somebody yesterday. They were trying to clear a bunch of plants off of their house. And they weren't sure if it was poison oak or poison ivy. And they were reaching over and just yanking the stuff out. And it was poison ivy. And they got it all over their hands. And it was just a mess. And you got to deal with that. Or in our back country here, we have sumac. And sumac is just like poison ivy or poison oak. If it gets on your skin, it can blister your skin. It's a real problem. And they burn like mad if a fire comes through. It's just terrible. So you've got to clear all that stuff out. And then if you're going to till it, you've got to make sure there's no stones. So you have to have a rock concert We get all the rocks. And some of these fields, they'd have so many rocks, you could build a wall around the field. And that's often what they did. They would build walls around the fields. <clears throat> and then once that takes place, you have to go through and put the rows in and drop the seed in and then you have to weed and if you had some form of irrigation you had to do that as well and then you have to watch out for the pests and then you have to be in that uh, those rows daily to make sure no animals are eating your crop have you ever grown corn in your backyard i I remember uh, we grew some tomatoes and my children were small at that time and we went out and we collected those tomato worms the green ones with little spike on them oh there was probably 10 or 15 on about four tomato plants and we're pulling them off and put them on they would have eaten the whole plant if we plants if we would have let them and so they have to take care of that and then once you plant the crop You have to harvest the crop, then you have to store the crop, then you have to prevent pests from eating the crop after that in the proper storage, then you have to take it to market, and then you feed yourself as well. And and so it's always hard. So all of these things were difficult. They required energy. They required forethought. A farmer just doesn't go... "Uh, I think I'll plant a crop and just go stick something into the ground. It doesn't work that way. You can't be an athlete and say, I'm signing up. And you weighed 98 pounds and you want to be a professional wrestler. Uh, Not like the WWE, but I mean uh, in the real sport uh, out there in the Olympics. Or the soldier. You don't just pick up a gun and say, i want to learn how to shoot this. I'm going to be in the Army. You have to determine ahead of time that that's what you're going to do. requires dedication, perseverance. Perseverance. The runner who stops will never finish the race. The boxer who puts down his hands will be knocked out of the competition. The wrestler who lays down will surely be triumphed over. The athlete will not be victorious if they fail to train and compete according to the rules. And the farmer will not reap a harvest if he doesn't work the field. <clears throat> and so that's referring to us as well refers to timothy what he's supposed to do gives him an example but these examples are for us he goes on to say remember jesus christ raised from the dead descending from david this is my gospel so his motivation for being like the soldier being like the athlete being like the farmer is jesus christ who's raised from the dead that's where we get the promise that we're going to be raised from the dead and he says he's descended from David, which he's referring back to the Old Testament, that the Messiah would come through David, so it, it is biblically sound. And he says, this is my gospel. And it is his gospel because he believes it, he accepts it, and he gives it to others. Now, this is our gospel as well. Verse 9 says, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not changed." So he was in prison. He was expecting to be killed here uh, within weeks or months of his confinement. And that's when this letter was written. And so the word, it, it will not be suppressed, or excuse me, the world will suppress the word in this particular environment in which we live. Do you think the gospel is more free to be dispensed now than it was in the 50s? I would say no, it is not. Now, in the 50s, there was this movement to uh, enlighten thinking that we need to go beyond this, especially in Europe, and go beyond the gospel, and it's just a fairy tale, or it's just an epic that has been put together, talking about Jesus Christ, and that's where uh, God is dead came from. All all of those things kind of started to make it unpopular. But the world today, not only does it not like the gospel, it is hostile to the gospel. You know the Middle East. I don't have to instruct you about that. What's going on really around the world in Europe, they just think that God there's no such concept as God. And the United States is becoming hostile to anything that speaks of the morality of the Christian faith and the Judeo-Christian ethic that is out there. And Paul encourages Timothy, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory so this is why he's going through everything for the sake of others you see how selfless he is in his living and remember when i was talking about the balkanization of the united states we start becoming selfish. We want what we have to be maintained and I don't want anybody taken away. By the way, the taxes are going to go up in California. Did you know that? They're also going to go up nationwide. They're going to be raising those. The corporate tax is supposed to be going up. And so anything that you have will be start start to be diminished. I was talking to Patty yesterday about this guy who does um, um, clothes cleaning shop, dry cleaning place. And he already receives a bill every year. She said it was about five hundred dollars a year, so that he has permission to use his equipment in his place of business. And he he understands. Okay, okay, that's what the government is going to do. They're going to charge me to use my own equipment that I purchase and I maintain. Well, he just got another bill. What was it? Nineteen hundred dollars? Twelve hundred? 900, $900. Got another one. In addition to the $500 that gives him permission to use his equipment. He called up and he said, what is this? I already paid $500 to use my own equipment that you give me permission to use. And they said, well, it's a new tax. And he goes, what is this new tax? I shouldn't have to pay this. And what did the woman say? I don't care. I don't care. That's what the government said. I don't care. Just pay it. You you know, for and this is where the selfishness comes in. And I have to fight this too. Like for our church here. I gave up doing this. I think Kim does it now. <clears throat> the government sends us a form. On that form, now we are tax exempt quote here. They send us a form and they want to know everything we have. In the church, they want to know if we have seats, overhead projectors, what computers. They want to know everything that we have. We gotten that one this year already. We have. We've gotten that. I got so frustrated one year when we got it. I called them up and I said, "Excuse me, we got this form. Can I ask you why you need to know what we have in our building?" I said, well, yeah, it's just one of the regulations that we have. We'd like you to fill it out, and we'd like to keep track of that. And I said, what is the purpose of keeping track of what we have in the building? And she went on to give her explanation. I said, could you just send me the law that says we have to do that? And she goes, I'll get back to you. Well, I had another conversation later with the supervisor. He was just trying to explain to me that I needed to fill out the form. And I said... Well, could you just send me the law that says I have to do this? Well, after about three conversations, no law was sent to me. We never filled it out that particular year. Now, why would they keep track of that stuff? Hmm, maybe they're going to want to give us permission to use our own equipment. If that's the case, we're getting rid of the chairs. We're getting rid of the mics. We're getting rid of it, everything. It's like, no, I, I don't want to submit to that because it's ours. You know, and that, that's how I look at it. it it's our stuff, not mine, but it's it's the church's. And so I, I get a little frustrated. But, you know, that guy who I talked to, the woman who I talked to, they need Jesus Christ just as bad. And if they get a bad taste in their mouth, well, that church wasn't very nice. I lost it once with a air conditioning company that was working on this stuff here they were incompetent and and somebody called back and said you know that other guy we talked to he wasn't very nice and I wasn't I wasn't very nice had to repent of that say my Hail Mary's and well excuse me I don't want to be disrespectful but you know this idea I, I just I had to move on and I'm passionate about that stuff and I I have to remember they need Jesus Christ just like the rest of us And even soldiers or policemen, you know, they may be believers, they may not. And if they start enforcing this stuff, they need the gospel just like everyone else. We're supposed to be strong in the grace of Christ. And I I think this is for us today because I believe it's going to get bad. Uh, and and people are going to start saying i'm leaving california and there's too many people and too many things and too many restrictions and you're going to go to a state where they don't have that and it's going to be us versus them you can already see it texas and florida they're the rebels and they have to be stopped and everyone else we follow the science you know and if just ad infinitum so many things we can get frustrated for That's why we keep our eye on the prize. We look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat this again. Verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. We don't know who's elect and who's not elect. But we're doing it so that the gospel goes out and we can talk to others. That they too may obtain salvation. That is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then there he closes this section right here with a little hymn. Now we we sing songs you know we especially when i got saved we had little scripture songs and we would actually sing some of the hymns that are in scripture and this is one of them uh, for another hymn you could go to um, philippians chapter two if there would be an encouragement from being united with christ if any comfort from his love it goes from verse one down to about verse 11 that was a song that we, they would sing well here's another one Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And that was like a little song that they would sing to themselves. And so in verse 14, he says, keep reminding them of these things. Now, who is he referring to with them? It's the elect. Those who are chosen, those who are reliable men, everybody that is surrounding Timothy that he's going to come in contact with. And it's supposed to encourage them because of martyrdom. If we died with him, we will also live with him. There have been tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Christians that have been killed over the centuries. And if we die because of our witness of Jesus Christ, we're still going to live. We're going to be raised Uh, To life, And there is a reward. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We have a reward for enduring the persecution, which is here, which can be small or it can be great. And then there is the denial of Christ. If people want to disown him, whether they are saved or not saved, that's, like I said, a, a debate for another time. But if they simply say Jesus is not the Christ, only people without the Spirit of God can say that. Jesus is Lord. That's how we say it is by the Spirit of God. Well, God will disown us. If we disown him, he'll disown us. He'll say, okay, if you want to divorce, you're going to get a divorce. It's not going to stop somebody from divorcing him, being the bride of Christ, so to speak. And then there are doubts. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Under the persecution, the martyrdom that Paul was going to undergo, somebody's going to have doubts. Remember John the Baptist? He asked, are, are you the Christ or are we supposed to expect another? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Now, do you think he knew that Jesus was the Messiah growing up? I don't think he did. I don't think he knew until the dove, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, came and lighted on him in, at his baptism. And then he knew it was him. And it's like, really? Dude, we're cousins. You know what? How is this, wow, I always thought you were a good guy, but God in human form, I never never expected something like that. And so that's what Paul is telling us. There can be martyrdom. There is a reward for that. For those who want to go away from Christ, okay, just go away. God will disown you too. And you will experience doubts, but don't worry about it because God is still faithful. And he will bring to fruition what he has planned from the foundations of the earth, And he goes on to say, warn them about uh, quarreling uh, about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. Now, quarreling about words (laughs) and ideas. Remember who, um, was it uh, Thomas Aquinas? Thomas Aquinas had an idea how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Back in the 17th century. Have you ever heard that? Some people have tried to answer that. Four if they square dance. Ten if they line dance. A lot depends on the size of the pin. The size of the angels doing the dancing. Uh, The inverse ratio of devils versus a tin cup. Uh, I nearly married an angel once, but he couldn't dance. The same amount as the ones that don't exist. I'm a Methodist and it's not permitted to dance. Uh, Let me think. All of them. These are different answers that people came up with contemplating how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. You know, there are ideas out there of what is called knowledge and and what is something that we can debate. I'm going to leave you just with one here before I get to the actual application. You see this book? I was given this book a long time ago. Do you believe that the earth revolves around the sun or the sun revolves around the earth? Do you believe that the earth is the center of the universe or it is not? Would you contemplate that? Would you go through that? Have you seen the science of what's out there and how the earth is rotating around the sun and how the sun is rotating around the galaxy and how the galaxy is going through space? Have you seen all that? And we have evidence of that. But there's people who are saying, no, the earth is the center of the universe and the sun goes around the earth. Just ridiculous doctrines which are out there. How many angels on the head of a pin? Paul is telling Timothy, you know, just words and thoughts and ideas and doctrines. We should not spend a lot of time on that. So to close this part up, application I'll probably go back and do a little bit of this next week <clears throat> it's hard to be strong especially when there's persecution Paul tells Timothy to raise up other reliable men we are always to be involved in making disciples that is a great commission not limited to those who are ministers we're to endure hardship we're supposed to persevere Like the athlete, the runner, the wrestler, the boxer, the farmer, the soldier. Our motivation is to be Christ himself when we do this. We're to avoid quarreling about godless chatter. We're to study. That's the next verse we're going to get into. Verse 15, to show ourselves approved. We're to watch our lives, the way we live it, keep it pure. We're to watch our heart. And when it comes to other people, we need to soften our approach. We need to go to them and give them the gospel. Remember, all these people that would have us separate from others and take up a cause, no matter what the cause is, whether it's political or whether it's religious or whether it's racial, all of those things, they all need the gospel. May God give us the grace to recognize this, to keep it at the forefront. Believe it or not, Gavin Newsom needs the gospel. And if we get him saved, just think how things could turn around or the nancy pelosi imagine if she got the gospel how powerful she is or chuck schumer all of these people who are rulers they need the gospel of jesus christ they're on the road to destruction may god grant us an abundance of grace to give it to others let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for the insights that are there Help us to subdue the flesh when we want to take up arms and fight. Give us wisdom when we should fight and when we should just relax and know that you're the one in control. May we be the arbiters of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. So, Father, according to your will, we will do this as you give us strength. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Please stand.